All right, as you stand, if you'll again turn to the book of Matthew in chapter 7. Today we'll be reading verses 7 through 12. And if you're using a Bible from the pew right in front of you, you can find it on page 965. Again, verses 7 through 12. So even if your paragraph stops after uh, verse 11, and Chris is trying to throw us off here. So we're going to read 7 through 12 and get the golden rule in there. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, Give good things to those who ask him. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Our Father, as we uh, just open your word this morning, God, we pray that you would just reveal to us a deeper understanding of the importance of prayer and the power of prayer. God, may you just strengthen us. May you teach us and may you just reveal your wisdom to us through your word. And God, may we just seek to join you in prayer. In Christ's name, amen. Amen, amen. Now, just a reminder, those paragraph things, verses, they aren't inspired. So we can't sneak in an extra verse here or there. So hopefully you'll see by the end of this why that's important. So here we are. And we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and you might be saying, prayer again? We're talking about, didn't we cover that? Didn't Jesus, didn't you already cover that? And you would be right, we did cover that. Jesus will speak of prayer three times in this Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever taught. But here's why we need it, because sometimes we're like Broomhilda. How many, probably too many are too young for that, but Broomhilda, remember that cartoon strip? First of all, do you remember cartoon strips? Okay, there was a thing called papers, and they had a whole section of cartoons. And Broomhilda was in there. Broomhilda was a short, kind of homely cartoon witch. And uh, in this particular cartoon, she approaches a wishing well, and she barks into it, I don't want anything. And then the next panel is just quiet. And then in the third panel, Hilda steps back and adds, I just thought you'd enjoy knowing there's one satisfied person around. Okay? You know, I don't want anything. I'm satisfied. I'm content. But the problem is that describes too much of us too many of the time. Too too much of the time. See, too often we're content to go through life without God's help. And therefore, we become prayerless people, except when we're in really bad trouble, except before meals, except if you're in school when you're taking a test, okay? So we can be that. But King Jesus, in this sermon, knows what he's doing. The reason he's teaching about prayer again, because he's getting to the end of this sermon. In chapter 5, The key verse is verse 48. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
Chapter 5 is all about surpassing righteousness. The fact that God's standard for his people is his own perfection. More than surpassing external righteousness and truly being right from the heart internally. Chapter 6, the key verse, is 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Woe. Number one priority there, we are not to be righteous to show off for others, but we are to be righteous with a desire that seeks to please God before all others. And here in chapter 7, the key verse is that last verse that Kirk read in verse 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law, and the prophets. Last time we saw that was in chapter 5, verse 18. It's a bookend. The sermon is coming to a close. And the standard for which we must live as kingdom people is beyond our ability. By this time, if you've been listening, you and I and everyone here should realize, I can't do this. I can't do this. But that is exactly why King Jesus is bringing prayer back into the picture at this time. Because kingdom living requires kingdom praying. Kingdom living requires kingdom praying. And you say, well, what's kingdom praying? What what is that? Well, it's coming to God as our Father in the name of His Son, King Jesus by the power of His Spirit, to talk about kingdom concerns and to receive kingdom resources. We can't do kingdom living without kingdom resources. And we don't get kingdom resources without kingdom praying. And so let me just give you a brief overview of everything King Jesus has to teach us about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Because prayer is caught and taught as we listen to Jesus. The disciples heard him pray and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They caught that his praying was different. And then he taught them, and he taught them to pray in this way. So here's the three big points for just an introduction and overview of prayer. Pray in an authentic manner. Jesus teaches us that kingdom praying is praying in an authentic manner. We saw this already in chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Kingdom praying is not for show. It's short, it's simple, it's sincere, and it's straight from the heart. Number two, he teaches us to pray according to an authoritative model. An authoritative model. We saw this in verses 9 through 15 of chapter 6. Kingdom praying follows the model provided by Jesus himself. In chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Pray then in this way. And he gives to us the Lord's Prayer, or better, the family prayer. Now, there's nothing wrong with repeating the Lord's Prayer in public. But it's better to reflect the prayer in your own private praying, to pattern your prayer after that. And so in the bulletin, in your insert, you have an insert that will help you follow the Lord's Prayer. It's seven up. And here's my challenge. The first seven minutes when you wake up, well, okay, after about five minutes of getting coherent, okay, 
but seven minutes after your conscience, the first seven minutes that you're conscious in the morning, follow this pattern. I challenge you, for every day for the rest of this summer, you spend seven, your first seven minutes, not on technology, but in prayer to the Lord, following this pattern. It's the pattern given to us by the Lord. And then number three, pray with an aggressive motivation. Pray with an aggressive motivation. And that's what we're going to learn in today's passage, verses 7 through 12. Look at verse 7 in your Bibles. Look at in your Bibles. Verse 7 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. That is motivation. That is aggressive. That is active. Is your prayer life active or passive? Is it active or reactive? Is it aggressive or is it nonchalant? We should not, we should ask, we should seek, we should knock. Now, prayer is simply communication. It's us talking to God in a normal voice, in a normal way, realizing he's our heavenly father. In the word, God speaks to us. Through prayer, we speak back to God and we complete the communication loop. You could literally take Matthew 6, 8 and link it to Matthew 7, 7 and you wouldn't miss a beat. Here's what 6, 8 says. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. But the reason that Matthew under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, has separated out Jesus' teaching on prayer is to remind us that kingdom living requires kingdom resources. And you don't get kingdom resources without kingdom praying. And so Jesus is teaching us at the end of this, as he begins to wrap up, and he's like most pastors, when he says wrap up, settle in for a little bit longer, there's a little bit more. But he's coming to the conclusion, and he's reminding us that we need to be persevering in kingdom praying. Because only then do we get the resources that we need for surpassing righteousness. So let's learn from King Jesus why we should persevere in kingdom praying. And I'm going to give you four motivations right out of this text. Here's the first one. The pleasure of the Father. The pleasure of the of the Father. We see this in verse 7. Do you hear the motivation? Ask. Seek. Knock. Don't be afraid. Go at it. Why? Because God finds pleasure when his children ask. I love it when my daughter asks of me. When your kids come to you and see a need and come to you you, it's just the pleasure of a father. Notice, the father loves it when we come to him in prayer and ask, A-S-K. Notice, A for asking, S for seeking, and K for knocking. Now, don't think that's inspired. It only works in English, okay? It doesn't work in Greek, the original language that was inspired. But it does work in English, and I'm going with it, right? It's kind of cool. Because it reminds us that these aren't three different kinds of prayer. This is what prayer always is. Prayer is to ask. 
Ask, seek, and knock. And in this one verse, Jesus is teaching us at least two principles about the kind of prayer that pleases the Father. And here it is. The first is this. Be diligent in praying this way. Be diligent in praying this way. Because when you see these three commands, you see, first of all, be diligent to, number one, be diligent to actually pray. These all three are commands. He's not suggesting that we pray. He's not saying, think about it. He's not saying, pray about praying. These are three commands. Ask, seek, knock. The second thing he's telling us is to persevere in praying. So not only pray, but persevere in praying. Each one of these commands is in the present tense. And so you could literally translate this, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Start asking, keep on asking, don't stop asking. Same with all three of these. So persevere in praying. And the third thing that he's telling us that pleases him is to passionately persevere in praying. To passionately persevere. Each one of these commands is increasing in intensity and urgency. First, he says, ask. You ask when someone's right next to you. Would you please do this for me? Then seek. You seek when God seems a little farther away, and it takes a little more effort, and you're not sure he's hearing you. You're not sure what to pray for. So you ask when he's near, you seek when he seems far, and then you knock when there's an obstacle. You ever prayed and felt like your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling? Have you ever prayed and thought you were just talking to yourself? Obstacles and opportunities require knocking. And sometimes there are obstacles there that you need to push through, and praying can be hard. And so he's saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, be diligent in your prayer because prayer is hard. And that brings us to the second principle. Be persistent in praying this way. Don't not only be diligent, but be persistent in it. Why? Am I the only one? Praying is hard. Praying is hard. And let me give you some times when it's really hard. Praying is hard when life is hard. Because when life is hard, you're distracted. You're tired. You're frustrated. You're turning inward. And we forget to pray. And he's saying, look, be persistent. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Prayer is hard when you're dealing with difficult people. Anybody have any difficult people in their life? Don't look at your spouse, don't do that, don't do that. We all have difficult people. And if you remember the previous verses, verses 1 through 6, that Pastor Bruce preached on last week was dealing with difficult people. That's why the prayer is coming after that. Because when we're praying, dealing with difficult people, we can get a critical spirit. And instead, we need a discerning spirit. But how are we going to know when we're critical and discerning, when people are being difficult? You've got to pray for wisdom. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Prayer is hard when life is good. Have you noticed that? 
When life is good and everything's going the way, the stars are aligned, the sun is shining, and you know what we do? We forget to give thanks to the giver of every good gift. And so when life is good, praying can be hard. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Prayer is hard when our pride is strong. Have you ever noticed that? When, when we say, you know, instead of the five solas of the Reformation, we go with sola bootstrapa. You know what sola bootstrapa is? That's where I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, thank you. And I can do it with my own resources, my own thinking, my own strength, and I can do it alone. Pride is strong. The humble will be persistent in praying. And you know what? We can come with all, uh, at least I can, I can come up with all, uh, all sorts of excuses why prayer is hard and why I struggle to pray. But Jesus, in his prayer life, eliminates all of these excuses. Do you realize that he prayed to the Father when life was hard the night before he went to the cross? Do you realize he prayed when people were difficult? Every one of his men he had invested in and the women that he invested in all forsook him and his enemies were nailing him to a cross and he's saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He prayed when God seemed far away on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He prayed when life was good. You know, Jesus, after the most successful good day of ministry, rose early in the morning, went to a secluded place, and prayed to his heavenly Father. Success did not deter him. He prayed when his will wanted to go one way and God's will was the other way. In the garden, he prayed, not my will, Lord, not what I want, not what I prefer, your will be done. So verse 7 is teaching us to persevere in kingdom praying because it pleases the Father when we come to him in A-S-K, ask, seek, knock. So we must be persistent. But please understand this. Persistence is not required because of God's reluctance. Persistence is not required because of God's reluctance. It pleases him when we pray and we come to number two, the promise of the Father. The reason we should persevere in kingdom praying is not only that it pleases God, but this great promise of the Father that we find in verse 8. So look at verse 8. Here is the greatest promise in all of the Bible regarding prayer. Take a look at it in your own Bible. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Hallelujah, God answers prayer, and he promises to do that. And he doesn't just promise to do that for the super holy ones. He doesn't just promise to do that for his special ones. Notice that key word in verse 8 for, what is it? Everyone, everyone who asks, everyone who seeks will find, everyone who knocks, the door will be open for them. Now, granted, the everyone in the context means everyone who is a citizen of the kingdom. 
It means everyone who has been born again into God's family. When you have crossed from death into life, when you've crossed from unbelief into belief, when you have crossed from being dead in your sins to being born again in new life through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, you go from the devil's family to God's family. You now have a heavenly Father, and it pleases Him when you pray. And He promises to answer your prayers. Can we get excited about that? Do you realize that most religious ancient texts reserved answered prayer for the super-religious, the priest, the, the, the witch doctor, the, the one who knew the special powers. You don't find this kind of promise in very many other texts, religious texts, but you find it here because this is the revealed Word of God. It tells us the Father heart of God, and His promise is this that he will answer our prayers. You know, immediately you should be thinking, I can tell you a half a dozen he hasn't answered. Well, let's look at that. Let's deal with that objection. How does God answer our prayers? Here's the answer. Yes, no, and wait. God answers every prayer. It's just not always the way we want it to. Now, before you disbelieve in God and walk away from the faith, just think about any good parent. There is no good parent, and we're going to talk about these kind of good parents in a moment, but there's no good parent that answers every request with a yes. Okay? No. Good parents say yes, no, and wait. And God is the best parent, and that's what he does. Yes. So sometimes he'll answer yes. This is my will for you. But do you realize sometimes his yes you won't see until eternity? See, not every yes is even answered in this life. Sometimes the yes is on the other side of eternity. Sometimes the yes is after you die. There are great stories of persistent, persevering saints praying for the salvation of loved ones, and then they die, and there's like this explosion of conversion. Sometimes God answers, no, this is not my will for you. And sometimes God answers, wait, this is my will, but not at this time. Does God answer all my prayers? Yes. If you are a child God, but not always the way you may want him to, or when you want him to. And as we learn in this very passage, God is a loving Heavenly Father, and he does what will bring him the greatest glory... Us, the greatest good, and others, the greatest joy in salvation. You can put it down. That is what motivates God. Now, the question becomes, why does God sometimes delay? Because he does sometimes delay in prayer. So here's the question. Why does God delay in answering prayers? Good question, right? Because sometimes even when he says yes, he doesn't immediately say yes. He knows he's going to say yes. He's already said yes, but he doesn't tell you yes. Why does he delay? Well, I've given you six. I've given you six reasons that you can look at there. Six reasons. Why does God delay? Sometimes he does it to purify our motives. Sometimes 
God's delaying so that we have time to discern our motives. Have you ever prayed for something over time and then realized, that was dumb, I'm going to stop praying for that? You ever done that? Why? Because you realize, I'm asking for the wrong thing. Thank you, God, for unanswered prayer. Have you ever thanked God for unanswered prayer? Yeah, you ever, you, you ever prayed for something, looked back and thought, that would have been a disaster. Aren't you glad God knows? So he, he, it's for motives. Number two, why does God delay? To expose our agendas. See, sometimes we don't have God's agenda. We have our own agenda in our prayer time. And so God delays so, we can, so he can expose to us our agenda. Number three, to strengthen our faith. You ever prayed something for a really long time and then God answered? How many of you prayed for something for years and then God answered? And you know what? What do you think? I, 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 we prayed for seven years. We, we, took, we, we, we delayed trying to have kids, and then for seven years we tried to have uh, Amber. Uh, exactly you, Amber. You're exactly what we prayed for. Seven years. So seven years we prayed. You guys know that. You church, you prayed for us. We had people around the world praying. Seven years. I was discipling Todd Adrian at the time. We got the news. I shared it with Todd. And I just remember being overwhelmed. I should have prayed even more. I should have prayed. Because you just, your faith is so stringy. You're like, why was that? You know, I was always praying. But you just, just when God answers, you're just like, what a God. We should pray more. We should pray more. He strengthens our faith. He delays to prove our hope. Is your hope in what you're going to get, or is your hope in the giver? See, as we pray, we should be remembering, Lord, whatever I'm praying for, what I have already in you is more than enough. And then number five, to teach us perseverance. To teach us perseverance. Parents, how many of you have delayed in giving your child something that you knew you you already had planned to give it to them, They ask for it once, but you don't immediately give it to them. Why? You want to teach them perseverance. Our Father's the same way. And then why does God delay? To reveal His wisdom. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That your wisdom, you know what I need, when I need it, and you know how to deliver it. We see God's wisdom in His delay. He's wiser than us, He's smarter than us, and He's better than us. You keep praying, knowing that God promises to answer. And that brings us to the third motivation for persevering in kingdom praying, and it's this, the parenting of the Father. You see, undergirding all of this is the fact that we don't pray to an abstract, powerful God in the sky like the God of Islam. We don't pray to a mind-emptying idea of nirvana, we're praying to the living God who is not only in heaven, but he's a heavenly father. And so we see the parenting of a father in verses 9 through 11. Look at this. The reason God answers and promises to do so is because he's a, he's a great heavenly father. Verse 9, or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who, and there's our word again, ask. 
to those who ask, to those who seek, to those who knock. So what do we see here? The Father loves to answer prayer like a good father. It's an illustration from lesser to greater. From lesser to greater. And the idea here in verses 9 through 10, we see the lesser, our earthly fathers, who are human, earthly, and sinners at heart, and yet give good gifts when their children ask. And then in verse 11, you see the greater, the heavenly Father, who is holy, righteous, just, compassionate, in ways beyond any earthly dad could be. And so, two things we're going to learn here. The first is this. The instinctive goodness of our earthly fathers. The instinctive goodness of our earthly fathers. Jesus gives us two examples. Both have to do with receiving necessities for life. So again, it's back to this idea We don't just pray for all our wants. We're seeking what God says we need. And so they're asking for the two most staples in that day, in that culture, fish and bread. And by the way, you didn't go to the store when there was a snow warning in Jerusalem and clear out the aisles. You got bread every day. You got fish that was caught that day. It was a day-by-day provision. And yet, what happens in each of these examples is he's saying, look, a good father, when you ask for bread, doesn't deceive you by giving you a stone. And a good father, when you ask for a fish, doesn't deceive you by giving you a fish that's not really a fish, it's actually a snake. And so the idea is this, for the bread... Their bread was these round bread that looked so much like the round stones that you saw in, that, in those areas. Remember when Jesus went to the wilderness and he had fasted for 40 days? What did Satan come and do? He said, hey, little hungry there, Jesus? Why don't you turn these stones that all look just like bread? Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And satisfy yourself. Why did he do that? Because Jesus was hungry and it looked like he had bread all around him. But it wasn't bread. It was stones. And so a good father, if a a son or daughter says, Dad, I'm hungry. Could you give me some bread? Yeah, here's some bread. The kid takes it, you know, or puts it in his mouth, cracks his teeth on it. Dad, that wasn't bread. That was a stone. You don't do that. Okay, you don't do that. Same thing with the fish. There were these uh, uh, fish that some people, uh, we're not, we don't know for sure, but there are some fish in that area that look very much like snakes. I'm hungry, Dad. I need, I need you to give me what I need. I'm asking. And no good dad is going to say, well, here's a fish, son. Ha! Whoop! Bit you. Dead. I'm sorry. That's just not how it works. That's not, listen... And he says, look, our dads... Now, good dads don't do that. Good dads don't deceive, and good dads don't do harm to their children. And sadly, sadly, we live in a culture where we need to stop right here and say, we understand that there are dads who are very evil. 
There are dads and moms who are abusive. Some of you here may still have wounds and scars and are struggling with what your parents did that was not instinctively good. It was instinctively evil. So how do you deal with that? Well, Jesus understands that. That's why he says, your parent who are evil. Because here's the reality. We need to keep two things in mind. Even the best of dads will never meet all your needs or meet them perfectly or sinlessly. So if you're here and you've had the greatest dad on the planet, I'm grateful for you. You should be thankful. But understand this. Even the best of dads cannot meet your needs like your heavenly father. And good Christian dads will remind their children of that fact. Son, daughter, I want you to come to me, but I want you to understand you come to me so that you learn to go to him because he will never let you down. I can't give you all that you need. I can't give you all that I want, but he can. He can. That's what the best of dads do. But understand this. Even the worst of dads will usually instinctively do what's good for their kids. Even the worst of dads will do that. My dad was far from perfect, and he was far from sinless. But he gave me so many good things when I asked and provided what he could out of what he had. It wasn't enough. I needed to be born again. I needed a heavenly father. But I understand that even the most evil dad, there's just something how God has designed the family. They want to do good. Some are simply unable. But understand this. Whatever parent you have, you can have an infinitely good heavenly father this morning. You don't have to walk out of here an orphan. You don't have to walk out of here unloved. You don't have to walk out of here not knowing who your daddy is. You can have God Almighty as your heavenly father. Can I get an amen? And he will give you the best things. He will give you good things. He will give you what you need. He will give you what you really desire when you don't know what you desire. Are you with me? He will say no when it's best, and he will say yes when it's best, and he will say wait when it's best. But you got to know him this morning, and you got to ask him. you got to ask. You've got to seek. You've got to knock, and you got to keep on knocking. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. That when God the Father delays in answering prayer... Don't question his goodness. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good, even when he delays. When God the Father answers your prayer with no or wait, don't assume he's out to hurt you. Don't assume he's out to deceive you. Don't assume that he's holding back on you. That's not our God. And when God the Father answers your prayer with no or wait, trust that in his infinite goodness, he has something better for you. Amen? 
He has something better. And what are those good things? It says he'll give us good things. Woohoo! What is that? Do I get to fill it in? No, you don't. What's good things are this. Good things are what glorifies him the most. Good things are what is for your good the most. And good things are what will bring the greatest number of people to salvation. Just understand that. When you study good throughout the Bible, that's the three things. It will glorify God, it will be for your good, and it will bring the greatest number of people to salvation. Here's the, here's the good news. God is not a reluctant stranger that doesn't know you. He knows your needs, chapter 6. He knows your needs before you even ask. He's not a sadistic bully out to hurt you. Go to him. And he's not an indulgent grandpa. Sorry, grandpas. He's not an indulgent grandpa who gives us everything he wants that we want. Our God gives us what is the greatest good. It's interesting. The same passage is in Luke. And in that passage, Luke eleven thirteen tells us what the greatest gift God could ever give you this morning. Listen to Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you, and instead of good things, it says this, the Holy Spirit to you who ask Him. What is the greatest gift of all? The Father has given us the Spirit of His Son to dwell in us. That's the greatest gift. And some people, unfortunately, use Luke 11 to teach that you must pray to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, that was true before the day of Pentecost, but that's not true since Jesus died, rose, ascended, seated on the right hand of the Father, and gave His Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, ever since, anyone who becomes a child of God receives the Holy Spirit the greatest gift of all. Now, why the Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit enables us for kingdom living. It's only by the Holy Spirit that you can fulfill the Sermon on the Mount. It's only by the Spirit, the fruit, the leading, the filling, the control of the Spirit that we can do kingdom living. And the beautiful thing about King Jesus is He's already given us what we need for kingdom living. Isn't that good? Now, the Father gives us His Spirit, and He gives us all the kingdom resources we need through prayer, but He does it for a specific purpose, and that's the fourth motivation. The purpose of the Father. And this is why we're including verse 12, But Pastor Bruce will do a whole sermon next week on the golden rule. But understand this. There has to be a connection between verse 12 and 7 through 11. In fact, there's a connection with verse 12 all the way back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And so the purpose of the Father motivates us. So what's that mean? The Father loves it when we pray to spread the fame of His name. Kingdom praying glorifies God for our good and the good of others. This is God's kingdom purpose for his children. Listen, align your prayers 
with his purposes, and he will be answering prayers. Why? Because you're praying for his glory. You're praying for what is best for you. You're praying what, for what will bring the greatest number of people to salvation. We're praying for Jordan and Nikki, not because they're nice people. They are. Not because we like them. We do. We're praying for them that they will glorify the Father in Manila and it will be for their best and the salvation of all peoples. We're praying for grace, one of our own, to go and partner with our own partners in that Asian country. Why? For God's glory, not for hers. For her best, which may mean, grace, a very difficult summer. But God knows. If it's hard, we know we have a loving Heavenly Father. We do it for the joy and the salvation of the nations. So let me give you two things underneath this. First of all, pray to receive from the Father what we need to live like the Son. That's His purpose. Pray to receive from the Father what we need to live like the Son. I didn't read verse 12. Let's read it. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The last time we saw law and the prophets was chapter 5, verse 18. This is a bookend. And chapter 5 said, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. I can't do that, but I have to do that if I'm part of the family. And so what do I need? I need to receive from the Father what we need to need to live like the Son. But then, number two, pray to give to others what we have received from the Father. See, the reason the golden rule follows after praying is so that we will understand what we receive from the Father is what we should give to others. The way the Father treats us in prayer is how we ought to be treating others in our relationship. And so we see this motivation. So, now what do you do? I'm done. What do you do after a sermon on prayer? You pray. What do you do after a sermon on prayer? You pray. Christians are so guilty, and I include myself. We will talk about prayer. We will read about prayer. We will teach on prayer. We will preach on prayer. We will ask others to pray for us. We will say we will pray for others. And what don't we do? Pray. So here's how I want to end this. First of all, in your bulletin is this card and this insert. Would you please take the 7-Up Challenge and the first seven minutes of your day for the rest of this summer, you pray according to the prayer model. Number two, there is an app. Yes, there is an app for that. The Prayer Mate app. Several of us in our church use this. If, you're, you, if, if you were using this, you can, it, it will tell you who to pray for. It will keep track of your prayers. I use it here in our congregation because I'm lousy with names. And, and I meet new people. I put it right there in my... I said, could I just take a moment and, and just put your name down because I'm lousy with names and, and I want to pray for you. You can use your prayer mat. Mate, it's prayer mate, okay? So you know how to Google that. You can get that. 
The third thing that I want you to do is sign up online for blesseveryhome.com. Sign up online, not on our website. Just put in blesseveryhome.com. Now, when I first heard about this, you know, it just kind of seemed one of those cheesy things that Christians do. But as I was telling Kirk earlier this morning, I think Satan loves to take cheesy things and get Christians not to use them because they're cheesy. You know what? Anything that helps me to be more like Christ, I don't care if it's cheesy. I don't care if it it, at first seems crazy. It took me a while before I was introduced to this to do it. I finally did it, and I'm glad I did. It's a little creepy. It's a little scary because you're going to know things. You'll see what it is. It's a way to pray for your neighbors and not only pray for them but hold yourself accountable to witness to them and not only witness to them but care for them and eventually hopefully lead them to Christ, invite them to church, and disciple them. So I want you to see this video. It's bracketed by clips from the movie War Room, if you saw that, which was about intercessory prayer. So let's take a look at this video. All right. It's very cool. I've got 50 neighbors. You can even adjust. Hey, I want these because ne- you know, they gave me neighbors a couple blocks away, and I, I want my whole Woodland Avenue uh, because I do know a lot of those people, and we've lived there long enough. You can adjust that. I got 50 homes. I've prayed for 30 every week, every day. I get an email for about five homes, and I click on that. I pray for that. I have no clue what to pray except God. Be glorified. God, do what's best. God, bring to salvation. But it then burdens you, well, I need to know these people so I can pray better. Now, don't walk up to them, use their name, and say, hey, I know you're Johnny. Who's Sally that's living in that house? It is really kind of weird. But it's public information. It's all out there. And who knows, someone maybe have already been praying for you. So go to blesseveryhome.com. Share with me that you're doing that, and I will pray for you as you pray for your neighbors. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come. We've talked about it. You've commanded us. You've motivated us. You are at the right hand of the Father praying for us. Father, we confess way too much. We are a prayerless people. Our pride is strong and our prayer is weak. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of past sins, of past prayerlessness. There's nothing, Lord, about us that you don't already know. So we come to you and confess our need to grow. Some need to begin to pray. Some, Lord, we need to be prayer learners and grow in that. Some are prayer warriors, and they need to be strengthened in that. But wherever we are, Father, we ask. We ask that you would make us a praying people. We seek for better ways to pray and to commit to that. And, Lord, we knock and ask that you would remove the obstacles. And We will take this card. We will take an app. We will take a technology to pray for neighbors. And, Lord, we will get the focus off of us and onto your kingdom concerns. 
And in the process, God, we're going to ask, Lord, you got to give us the resource. you got to give us the ability. you got to give us the desire. And if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't yet know you, they haven't entered your kingdom, they haven't been born again into their fa- your family, Lord, may they write on their connection card, I need to talk to somebody. Or I have accepted you today as my heavenly Father. I have confessed my sins. I have turned to my Savior and cast my trust on Jesus and his righteousness. And Lord, I embrace Jesus alone as my Savior. Lord, all that can happen today. And so we ask that it would. Make us a praying people as the instruments play As they sing, Lord, may we pray and make a commitment to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.